let the the leak of our life be that same grace. God, however we come in today, we, we ask that you'd meet us here. Thank you for meeting us in that space. Help us to sense you, to recognize you. Thank you. I trust you that you'll give me your words, and that your spirit will speak even when I don't. In your name, amen. So every week we we have the benefit of this worship team, our, our, our techs in the back who make it sound and look good. Um, for real, thank you guys. Thanks a lot. And Nadia, I don't know where you're hiding that, but thank you for that gift. It's, I know you're supposed to be able to worship just to anything. I know that, but I'm not mature enough for that. So I appreciate that you all are really good. Uh, it just makes it easier. So I, I grew up uh, in Minneapolis, like you guys know, and my dad's favorite thing to do in the world would be to go fishing. Uh, he, he loved fishing so much that he would sit in his boat in the garage and imagine fishing when he wasn't on a lake. And uh, when he had some free time, we would go find one of the billions of lakes in Minnesota, and it would usually be him and I, and it would be baseball on the radio, and Twizzlers and Sprite from me, and some adult beverages for him, and no talking. And he drove the boat, and my job was to throw the anchor in and to, like, not talk. Those were my jobs. And you get good at throwing the anchor in. And my dad, on, on the rope to the anchor, every five feet, he'd put a piece of tape, and he would tell me when we were approaching. So we'd go fast through the lake, and then he would slow it down, he would stop the motor altogether, and you still go forward a little bit. The waves catch up, and he would tell me how deep the water was. And he would say, like, Matt, we're in 18 feet. And I would know, okay, the boat's about three feet high. He wants to stay close to this bank. So I, I can go to, like, 25 feet, and my job is to tie the anchor. Now, there's an actual way that you tie it, but I never learned, and I didn't listen well enough. So I just wrapped it around a lot and prayed that we didn't lose the anchor. But I'd go to the fifth marker of tape, right? And I would tie it off there. And that meant that there were 18 feet of water, and then there were about two and a half feet of the boat, and then we had about four feet to go around. And that's about all my dad wanted us to have, is that 16 square feet to, to fish in. And I got good at it. And that was my job, and he liked that I was good at my job, and he would catch fish, and I wouldn't. And, and we would do this all the time. And you just call out the different depths of the water. It was real simple. Now, storms come, like on any, on any lake, but the lakes in Minnesota are really big. Most of our lakes here, I think, are like rivers that became lakes, and they're a little more narrow and stuff. Lakes there, you can see forever. And so you can actually see a storm come. And you can guess, so we've got about 45 minutes to get this boat out of the water. We better go quick. And you, obviously, with lightning and everything, you're trying to get off the water before the storm comes. But sometimes we didn't make it out of the water. And I remember the first time that I was tying the anchor and we didn't make it out of the water, we went to like a safer little harbor, but we couldn't get all the way to the landing. So we go to this little place and my dad said something like, we're in 12 feet. So like, okay, we're in 12 feet. Then I'll tie it between the 15 and the 20. And my dad was like, no, you can't do that, son. I'm like, yeah, this is what I do every single time. I tie it so we got about three feet to go. 
He said, no, Matt, you, like storm, the storm is coming. There's waves here. You have to do it different. And so instead of tying it at 15 feet, I had to tie it at like 25 feet. And I was like, Dad, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to like be all over the place. And he said, yes, that's what it takes for the anchor to hold. Because if waves come and you're in 12 feet and you get a six-foot wave and you've only got three extra feet, that anchor either has to lift or your boat has to go down. Because there's only that much rope, right? Like just logic says that. There's either three feet of water in your boat or your anchor's three feet off of the ground. And so you've got to make room for that. But it's scary because it feels like the anchor isn't holding at all because your boat is moving. Your boat has way more space to go. Is this making some sense? I believe that we are taught faith in calm water. We're taught faith like, hey, you're in eight feet, tie it at ten. And then life hits a thousand times. And that anchor tied at ten feet doesn't hold. And so what we're talking about in this series is what does faith look like when the storm hits? What does faith look like when you're in 12 feet of water with six-foot waves and you're tying off the anchor at 25 feet? And you feel like you're far from where you want to be and you feel more unsafe, what does faith look like then? And I realize we, there's a few things that we, we do, and some of them the church taught us to do. We, we kind of pretend that there's no storm. You ever do that? Or you know anybody who does that? Like they're limping through the week, and then they get into Sunday, and, and they're like, I'm just totally blessed. And like, no, you're not. Your leg's broke. No, I'm great. What are you talking about? Doing just wonderful. Like, you can be doing wonderful and acknowledge that your leg's broke. You can do both at the same time. No, I can't. I'm blessed. And that leg stays broke the rest of their life because they just pretend that that storm isn't there. You ever seen that? You ever been that? Maybe you've been taught that's the way to handle it. Some of us, honestly, we post our storm on social media and then we watch who cares for us. And that's like our gauge of things. I know a young man who, th this is sad, but I know a young man who put on social media that he had been shot. And so my son and I rushed to his house only to find out he just wanted to know if anyone cared. He hadn't been shot. There wasn't a gun around. The poor guy just wanted to know if anybody cared about it. And we could really judge him. That's horrible to do. But that shows you the depth of that question within him. I don't know if anybody cares, so I'm going to post. Sadly, we use things like, like that. Sometimes when a storm's hit, we hide and withdraw. Churches like ours, we know this. We kind of know how people are doing by attendance sometimes. Somebody drifts away for three months and comes back and says, that was a really dark season. That was really tough. And you can do that. And grace for you if you do that. But I think there might be another way. There must be another way to know that we're anchored, to need that extra line, and to navigate life even when it feels uncertain, even in the midst of the storm. And so this morning, we're going to look at how David navigated a storm in his own life, and we're going to just see how we can learn from that, Okay. So if you've got a device or a, if, if you actually own a paper Bible, go to Psalm 13. The verses are going to be on the screen as well. But here's, we're, we're going to read the first two at first. 
David writes, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Okay, I know us, and I know some of us are like, okay, he is dramatic, right? Well, I, I traveled this week, and I read a lot of Yelp reviews. He's not dramatic. We are dramatic in our reviews. Every meal is the worst or the best thing we've ever had. We know dramatic. This actually isn't being dramatic. David is being honest. Now, this is weird to us because we, we feel like there's no way you could really be like that. You'd have to be a four on the Enneagram and everyone would be like, oh, you're that guy. You must be a poet. But really, he's being honest. David was being chased by the king. When he was in the same room as the king, the king would throw javelins at him, and he had to duck them. He was like playing music for the king and ducking at the same time. He lived in caves. He was anointed to be the king, but he wasn't yet the king, and so he had to live with all that tension that I can only imagine how bizarre that would feel. His best friend, Jonathan, is killed. A group of men gather around him and become like an army of dear friends, but it's, it's a tough road he's on. It makes sense that he would say, will you forget me? You said I was king. Why am I in the cave? Right? It makes some sense. And we think like, oh, he has too much feeling. There's too much emotion in this. But really, like David said that he had killed lions with his bare hands. Like, this is a dude's dude. He just, he got it. He got that there are emotions and there are a spiritual part to us, that we are somebody, that it, it matters to be in touch with how we feel and, and where we are spiritually. And so here he is in the midst of this circumstantial storm saying, will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But reality is not all storms are just circumstances. And if we look at David's life, we know that from him as well. He has some great circumstances at times. And he has some storms that become, come because of sin in his life. But he has some storms that come not because of circumstance, not because of sin. They just come inside of us. And this happened in the Old Testament and this happens today. There are things that come that aren't from circumstances like depression or loneliness. That just for a season, they can come upon us. Ignatius, this really old desert father kind of guy, called these seasons of life desolation. There are times when you just feel distant from God. You feel maybe withdrawn from people. And you can't say it's because of this or it's because of this. It's just... A season. It's just a fog. It's a storm that blows over you. It's a time of spiritual and inner storm. And so whether it be circumstantial or this inner desolation, we need to know that this anchor can hold and that not take on water, right? And if you're in that moment, 
where you're, you're, you have faith, but you feel far from your faith. If you're in that moment of the storm, there are questions that rise up in you. Honest, there are complaints that rise up in you. So what do you do with those? Like, real practically, what do you do? I was told, I remember, and it's sad that we remember negative things, but I remember some negative things. I remember my mom's pastor, who probably was a great guy and probably taught me a bunch of wonderful things that I forgot. I remember the negative thing that he taught me. When my dad was dying, he said, you don't ever get to question God. And he opened up the book of Job and kind of out of context pulled out this this verse where, where God really kind of laid it on Job and out of context said, that's what happens to you if you ask God why, why your dad is sick. I was like, huh, well, I'm out. What do you do when you have questions? Maybe you're like me and you're told you can't have a question or you can't have a complaint. Maybe you listen to our culture that says you should have complaints, but you should never actually look for an answer. You should just constantly voice your complaint or constantly make a platform of your question and don't allow God to speak into that. Or maybe you're like David and you're processing through it. You see, the storms of our life, they kick up questions and complaints, but the question for us is will we state them? Here, David's question is, okay, I feel like you're going to forget me forever. Is that true? His complaint is, you forgot me. His complaint is, you're, you're hiding your face from me, which we don't really say this, but what that means is you're, you're ignoring me. You're paying attention to the rest of the world, but you're ignoring me. The one that you say is king, you're ignoring me. Why are you putting me through pain? He's got tons of complaint here. And what we need to see, and what we often have been taught the opposite of, is that God can handle your complaint. In fact, he already knows it. We think we're really good at like hiding that, right? Like we grumble inside all week and then we come to prayer. We're like, I'm so thankful for things that I can't think of and theoretical ideas. And he knows we're complaining. He hears you when you talk to your friend. He hears you when you talk to you. So there's this, these verses that we, we love in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and, all, and are acquainted with all of my ways. And we think that this is a verse about David like celebrating that God finally knows him. That's not what this is. This is David saying like, oh, I now know that you know that I know that you know. That's what this is. Oh, you know, and then I know a little bit about me, but I, what I know about me is that you already know about me, and oh, I get it now. You know all my thoughts. I'm grateful that even before I knew you knew my thoughts. You knew my thoughts. And if you're confused, that's kind of what David does sometimes. This is saying, what he's saying here is, oh, you have known all along. And part of this discovery that happens in us, part of what happens when the anchor cord and, and rope is longer is we start to realize who we are and we realize that we haven't scared off God yet. God already knows. And so your complaints, your despair, if you like that word more, that sounds maybe a little more acceptable. 
We need to voice our despair. You need to. I know you've probably heard 12 sermons the opposite, but I'm telling you, you need to. It's biblical. You need to say, hey, I feel like you've forgotten me, God. You need to say, hey, this hurts. You need to say it. You need to voice it, but then you need to be able to live in a spot where you can hear a response. You need to voice your complaint. You need to voice your despair, but not as the last word. But be honest. Hey, this is hard. Hey, this season I'm scared. Hey, I feel anxiety at a level that I haven't felt it before. Now, one of the reasons I know that we don't voice our despair is because we're afraid we'll live there forever. And if we acknowledge it, then that means that that's like now our home base. But I think the opposite is true. I think if we're honest and we say, hey, Lord, I feel like you forgot me and I'm, I'm feeling depression off of that. I think that's one of the first steps to like realize that there's ways out of it. To realize that he hasn't forgotten us. Realize that there's ways to have to find support. So this feels like a, a little bit of a side, but if you're here, if you're in a place where you have complaints that you don't say, you have despair that you haven't acknowledged, first of all, you, you need to do that. Whether that be in a journal, whether that be in a small group. I lead a small group on, on Wednesday nights, and oftentimes the beginning of that small group is somebody saying their despair. Somebody voicing to a community and getting it out loud. Hey, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm questioning God. Here's where I'm challenged. And, and this is one of the points where I've realized that our culture is extremely lonely. And part of your, like, spiritual response to today, I'm going to ask you to pray for and invest in friends. Like, very sincerely, this is a spiritual act. Have friends. I have a friend here who's been my friend since I was 19 years old. My, my best friend, we've walked through stuff forever. And oftentimes, he has, without knowing it, he has shown me where my anchor is. He's been a place where I can come and complain and show despair, and he doesn't run off. And most of us just have people who run off. Or we think Facebook is our friends. One of the most spiritual, mature decisions I made this year was to leave Facebook. Because I was just constantly depressed when I looked. I was constantly anxious. I constantly felt like I, I, I wasn't measuring up. I, I'm, I'm a mess, guys. You know this. But you can easily think that that's connection to people. And you can think that that's your friends. That's not your friends. That's like your competition. That's how we use it. <laughs> That's the people you're seeing. Who, who's living the best life? Invest in actual friends. And when they have questions, and when they have complaints, and when they are living in despair, sit with them. That's what they need from you. And when you have that, allow somebody to sit with you. If we truly believe in, in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives within us, then time is our friend. 
Because time is where the Holy Spirit works this stuff out in us. And so sit still together. And sit in your questions. But it doesn't end there for you, and it didn't end there for, for David. Let's look at the next couple of verses in, in Psalm 13. Verse 3, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Just like we need to, to voice our despair, we need to turn that into a prayer. And that's what this is. He says, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like I'm going to die. You're hiding your face. And then he says, answer me. Give light to my eyes. This phrase, give light to my eyes, we don't really know, like, we don't use that. But what that is, is, like, particularly if you're malnourished and if you're close to death, you look real pale-eyed. Life starts to leave your eyes. I don't know if you've been near someone at the end of life, but you can kind of see that. And this is a direct thing on, like, people... A lot of scholars think he was close to death. And so he was asking, restore life. Bring light into my eyes. There are enemies after him, and he doesn't want his enemies to say that they've prevailed because he's God's anointed one. Now people are like, okay, was he, were they really after him? And was he really close to death? Or again, is he just being dramatic? Well, I'll tell you from experience, if David's being honest, it doesn't matter. Because if you feel like people are after you, you live like people are after you. And if you feel like you're close to death, you're close to death. And part of what needs to happen is those emotions have to change. So whether it be manifest and seen that all the enemies were chasing after him, or there was just a guy who disliked something he said on Facebook, and it felt like everybody was against him, it doesn't really matter until God sorts that kind of stuff out. And his prayer is a sincere prayer that we can learn from here. Now, some of us are in this space right now. We're in a place where, like, our despair, we can voice our despair in a way that asks a prayer to God. God, will you please bring me relief physically? Will you please... Like, will you please move in such a way? Because I feel like everything is against me. And, and these are the moments where we state our, our request, and then we look for ways that God wants to answer. I know in, in our church there are a lot of us who are dealing with, like, desolation. There are a lot of us who have these moments of depression or severe anxiety and, and things like that. I, I believe, like, let's voice our despair Let's voice our prayer. And then let's see the way that he wants to answer that. And in, in my life, that has come through spiritual directors. That has come through psychologists. In my family, that comes through psychiatrists. There are ways that God meets us. That there's no shame in this. Let's allow God to bring healing. Small groups, again, are a good place to have some community and have a safe place to to be able to share where we're at and allow some of this healing to happen. And so we reach out to God in our prayer and we allow God to answer supernaturally and through professionals. And your prayer, what happens here is your prayer comes from beneath your despair. 
So if I don't acknowledge my questions, if I don't acknowledge my despair, my prayers are really shallow. God, will you please, like, I'm sure I don't have enough money. Will you give me more money? I'm sure school's hard. Will you help my kids? You know, they're like, they're kind of shallow stuff. But when I acknowledge what the despair in my life is, all of a sudden the prayer comes from somewhere deeper. Does that make some sense? Let, Let me give you an example in my life where actually this text is what I walked through. So my dad died quite a long time ago, and I was driving... His old Jeep at the time, it was not the one I had before this, it was actually an older Jeep. And so I'm driving around in his old Jeep, and I used to just go for rides and yell at God in my car, because I'm unbalanced. And so I'd go for this ride, and, and I was just voicing all these complaints, and they didn't even really make sense to me, but like, I just felt like I had to get it out, and the safe place to do that was in my car. So I'm driving up this hill in, in Eau Claire, and driving up, and I voiced a thousand complaints that I had voiced before. But there was something in the thousand and first complaint that was different. And it felt different. And I found my prayer there. See, I realized that I I was mad that my dad was a good guy, and he died, and blah, blah, blah. All these were the thousand. And then the thousand and first was I said, I'm scared because I don't have any older men in my life. I don't, I don't have uncles that I'm close to right now. I don't have uh, a father-in-law to lean on. I don't have my dad. I don't have granddads. I, 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 I'm scared. And I feel like I am like with my buddies who are my age, and we are lost boys raising lost boys. And that seems like a bad idea. And I'm complaining, and that complaint comes out. And I realize, like, oh, that's, that's my prayer. That's what's beneath all of this. That's what I'm feeling. And so I started to pray, God, will you please bring me some like mentors? Will you please bring me some older men who've navigated these waters I'm in? You can walk me through it. And then I started to watch for those older men to come into my life. And you know what God did? He brought that. And they didn't replace my dad. They didn't any of that. I still had other healing to do. But I, I all of a sudden d- discovered this deeper longing this deeper prayer that I had that I didn't know I had. Because I had all this other stuff sitting on top of it that I had to go through. My guess is that you're similar. My guess is that you have this deep longing and this deep prayer within you that other stuff's sitting on top of. And what I'm saying today is in this storm, part of the reason we have so much rope is because it's safe to ask these questions then. And it's safe to voice the complaint that you have. Don't stay there, but it's safe to voice that complaint. And it's safe to pray those, pray those prayers. But the beauty is that we don't stop there. You see, beneath that prayer, we also find something else. And that's what we get here in Psalm 13, 5, and 6. I want to read 3 and 4 again for you. So his prayer is, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemies will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. And then he shifts and he says, but I trust in your steadfast love. And my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
You hear how those three sections sound so different? The one is like, you're not looking at me. Hey, Lord, will you please, please notice me? Will you please work in my life? And as I wait for that, I'm anchored to the fact that I trust you. That you've been bountifully in my life. That that your love hasn't failed me. You see that? In the third part here, what we see is this statement of, of his faith. Now you go through the Psalms. His faith are in different things at different times. And I think in this verse we see he's not anchored to a ton compared to the more robust theology we get at different points. That's okay. That anchor holds. And that's all we need here. You see, to make it through the storm that he's in, what he needs to be honest about is what he's anchored to. And right now, he's anchored to the fact that he trusted in the steadfast love, this salvation. This is not like the moment of meeting Jesus. Salvation here is like the whole you and the whole world being made right again, this broader salvation. He trusts in this salvation. And he does this because God's always dealt bountifully with him. He's always cared for him, even in the midst of these questions, even in the midst of the despair. He knows that that anchor has helped. I think we've told you this story before. It's in a lot of books, but I think it's meaningful here. There's... uh, it's another Minnesota story. In Minnesota, we get actual blizzards. I don't know if we know what those are down here. We shut school down for rain here. But you get like blizzard blizzards, like not from Dairy Queen, like feet of snow. I remember one day Nikki called me because the car was stuck teeter-tottering at the end of the driveway because the snowplow came. And that's just like on a Tuesday. You know, that's just normal weeks. Blizzards are when like you can't find your house anymore. And that happens. And back in the day when it was all farmland, when a blizzard would come, the farmer would have to tie a rope to the front door and then put the other rope in, in the farmer's hand and would go to the barn and make sure all the animals were inside and safe and all that. Because if the blizzard hit, when they didn't have that rope, farmers were found like dead four feet from their front door. Because you just get lost in a storm like that. You can't see, and it's dangerous, and it doesn't work. And so if they hear that a blizzard's coming, they tie the rope, hold onto the rope, and they go do their business. And then when they can't see, they just pull on the rope and get back to that front door. They can get home in the midst of that storm. Every now and then, when we would be on the, on the boat, in, in the, it was only like two or three storms, but I remember this one in particular there was twice that I had let too much rope out and my dad was afraid we'd hit the shore. And she said, okay, Matt, just bring in about five feet. And so I brought in about five feet and what happens is you end up closer to where your anchor is. And then as the storm died down, we could sit right on top of that anchor again and be where I felt safe and secure and all of this. This is what we're anchored to. Each one of us can say a different piece 
of what God has done in our life, our testimony, that we know that even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of questions, even in the midst of prayers, that we are desperate for them to be answered, even in the midst of like 20 feet of rope where we are far from our anchor, it is so essential for us to say, but I. Like for me, I have been at places where I am just in like deep depression in scary spots. I've been places where I'm super anxious. I've been places where circumstances are above my control, where I go talk to a doctor and they're like, yeah, you just need to reduce stress, which is the stupidest thing you can ever say to somebody. And how I weathered that was good friends in my life and knowing in me, but I know that God, you are good, and you never change. That's my anchor. David's anchor here, but I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully to me. A couple months ago, we sat in uh, John. It was in the spring. If you remember, Martha goes and questions Jesus. Martha's mad at Jesus. Hey, my brother would be alive. Why didn't you come? And Jesus says, uh, I think this is interesting in the context that we're at right now. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, and even though they die, will live. And everyone else, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says to him, she doesn't say, I believe in the the resurrection. I believe all that. She just says, I believe that you are the Messiah. That's all I'm anchored to right now. The rest of this, I'm not so sure. I don't know what's happening with Lazarus. I don't know why he had to die. I don't know what's coming next. But I do believe that, and so I'll be anchored to that. For Martha, it's this declaration that you're the Messiah. For me, it was this declaration that constantly I come back to the idea of whatever happens in life, I know that you're good. And I know you don't change, so tomorrow you're going to be good. For David here, we see he's anchored to the idea that, like, I trust you. Because you've dealt bountifully to me. So it doesn't feel like it right now. And I feel far from this place of trust. But in the midst of this storm, I'm anchored to the truth that, like, you've been faithful. And so that, I might not be able to hold on to anything else. But that's enough to weather this storm. For you, maybe it's, I'm breathing today. Maybe that's the best that you can do. Okay, declare it. Maybe it's I've known joy before. I've known love before. Maybe it's I know that when you delivered me, Jesus, it was real. I know that that was a real moment. Maybe it's a past memory or experience. Maybe it's a future thing. I know that you've made a promise. And I feel far from that right now. But I know that that is true. I know that you're the Messiah of this world. And that doesn't mean that I get everything that I want, but I believe you are who you say that you are. And that's my anchor. And that anchor holds. See, whatever it is, like stated complaints, And prayers, it's important to state 
what it is that we believe. And if you're not in a storm today, then there is no better time to declare what it is that you believe and set that anchor. Because a storm will come again. But it doesn't change who God is. And it might transform you into more you. It might unearth some complaints that you already have. And it might unearth some questions that you already have. It might even unearth some deeper prayer that you have. And if that's where you're at, then I want to invite you to engage. And so we're going to end worship like this. We're going to have a couple people up front who would love to pray with you. And here's specifically what we're looking at. You might need to complain. Okay. Complain. You might need to say, hey, here's the things that I have going on and it doesn't feel right. Get that out. If it's going to take a little longer, there's a room back there. You can take the room. I'll meet you there. You may know what prayer you have. And that prayer, if it's the one under complaint, probably feels pretty tender and probably feels pretty vulnerable. Today I can say, like, not a big deal. I can say, oh, yes, I, I needed mentors in my life. But that day that I realized that, that was like the most vulnerable thing that I could say. Lord, I'm scared. And I need some humans to help guide me. And so if you need to pray about one of those things, I want to invite you to come talk to Jamel. Stephanie, would you pray with? Stephanie will be over here. Um, come pray. Come pray with somebody. Voice where that is so that this storm, like that this anchor holds and this storm, you can make it through it. And then for all of us, whether we're in a storm, whether we're not, Chris made us this piece that says, but I... And so as an act of worship, together, let's declare where our anchor is set right now. And six months from now, your anchor may be set somewhere different. That's okay. But this is a declaration of today. Lord, these complaints, this despair is real. These questions, this prayer is real. But I know not as Matt the pastor, but as Matt the one who's doing his best to follow after Christ. I know that God is good and that he never changes. And so search your heart. Allow God to search your heart. What is the thing that you know that you know that you know? And as an act of worship, let's fill this with, with our statements. So if you have some despair that you need to share and get off your chest. If you have a prayer that you need someone to pray with you, go ahead and talk to Stephanie or talk to Jamel. And, and if you don't have those, then I want to encourage you, come, come and write out your declaration of where it is that your anchor is set. Make some sense? Okay, let me pray for us. God, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm overly emotional and I'm way too much. And I thank you that I'm not too much for you. That we aren't too much for you. That we aren't too anything for you. 
I thank you that even as we look at where we can feel chaotic and in this storm, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, even there. And it is scary, I acknowledge that it is scary to let more rope out so that that anchor holds, and the water there is scary, but there we unearth despair that we've never voiced before and prayers that are deeper than we have known before and we realize where it is that we are anchored and I pray that this morning in this moment that you give us the courage to state our despair and voice our prayers and write out where our anchor is set thanks for being present here in your name There's some Sharpies right here. Uh, really, we'd love it if you came and wrote on it. And then um, please take advantage of Jamal Stephanie being here. But let's take advantage of these moments together where God's present, where he's tugging on our hearts. So we invite you to worship in song and worship in response. Go ahead and stand to your feet.